Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. Father, we worship you as your creatures that you have made. That is what we are. We acknowledge our place this morning as creatures. You are the creator. You are the ruler. You are the king. I thank you, Christ, that you have defeated every sin. I thank you that you invite us to cast all our burdens on you. pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. pray that you would um, help me to do that right now, Lord. I need your help. I'm weak. I'm insufficient. No right to preach your word. So please help me by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear from you. And Lord, I also want to take time to pray for this town in Nicaragua that we visited a couple times, Nagarote, just experienced this earthquake. Would you, would you be with them? God, would you comfort these people? Would you meet their needs? Would you show us how we can help meet their needs? Give us compassion for them. But now, God, we come to your word, which is such an honor, and we ask that you would speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome. I'm William. If y'all are new or visiting, I'm uh, the college pastor here. We are going to be taking a two-week break this, this week, next week, from the book of James as we move into the celebration of what we believe is the most important event in world history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so on the church calendar, that makes this Palm Sunday, first day of Holy Week in the high church. Um, And as Blake mentioned, that's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the, the crowds lay their cloaks and they lay their palm branches on the ground and they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are heralding Jesus as a king who's just triumphed. But only five days after they shout, Hosanna to the son of David, and acknowledge Jesus as the king of Israel, they shout, crucify him. And I think one of the major reasons why those people were so fickle is because they expected one thing and they got something completely different. They expected uh, an earthly kingdom, an empire, But Jesus didn't come the first time with an earthly, physical kingdom. He came and he inaugurated a spiritual and invisible kingdom. He came and for all who believe, he has established his gracious and sovereign rule. Right There is a kingdom where we we come to him by grace and we take on his values. And even since that first Easter, this kingdom has been spreading and advancing. But that's not what those people expected. And so the king that came riding in on a donkey on Palm Sunday, they ended up killing. But you and I know, at least if you're a Christian, you know that this kingdom is real. It's not pretend, it's not made up. Even though we can't see it, it doesn't delegitimize it, if that's even a word. Um, But when we look around at our friends, when we look around at family members, when we look around at coworkers, at classmates... We don't have to look far before we recognize not not everybody is under the gracious and sovereign rule of King Jesus. Not not everyone has come to him by grace. Not many have taken on his values. As Paul would say, most people are part of the kingdom of darkness. 
And so for those people that we know and we love, the number one greatest need that they have is to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. More than anything else, they need to come to Jesus, receive the grace of Jesus, submit to his rule, take on his values. That's the number one need in their life, whether they know it or not. And so I want to ask this morning, what is God's plan to advance the kingdom of God? I mean, if this really is such a huge need, how is God going to go about doing it? And what's our role in it? And the reason I want to ask that question this morning is because this week is Easter week. And if there's ever a time when folks who are not in the kingdom of God are at least willing to consider spiritual things, it's this week. If there's ever a time when somebody might not reject an invitation to church, it's this week. So I want us to leverage that. I want us to take advantage of it. We're going to talk about engaging them, um, our E and specs. And so as we go, encouragement to you guys to be sensitive to who God lays on your heart. Who's God putting on your heart to talk to, to invite um, We're going to ask this question. What is God's plan to advance his kingdom? We're going to be in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the last section in that chapter. And as you're flipping there, let me remind you guys what an honor it is for us to be able to sit under the word of God. Two billion people on planet earth have never even heard the name of King Jesus. Two billion people do not know how they can be made right with God. Two billion people do not have access to the word of God. It is an honor for us to be able to sit under the word of God. So John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and Nathanael said to him, or Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, so even though we're at the end of Jesus' life on the church calendar, today we're going back to the very beginning of his public ministry. Okay, just a couple of days in. And he'd been across the river with John the Baptist for a few days, and now he moves into this region in northern Israel called Galilee. And notice what it says in verse 43. Jesus goes into Galilee, and it says, He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, I want to highlight something extraordinarily obvious to you. If someone is found, there's an implication that they're being looked for. So this means that Jesus specifically goes into Galilee with the intention of finding this guy, Philip. And we don't know a ton about Philip, other than Philip went on to become one of the 12. But he finds this guy, Philip, and he says to him, follow me. Now, I want us to consider for a minute 
what an honor this would have been for Philip. Because if you go back to the beginning of John chapter 1, here's what we find. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then we come down to verse 14, and it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The idea is that God Almighty... The one true God, the God who made the world, had come to his own creation. He had become a man. Right? And as a man, just like us, he was limited. There was only so much time in the day. He could only be one place at one time. He could only have so many close relationships. And God in the flesh goes to Philip and he says, follow me. I want to be your teacher. I want to be your Lord. I want you to be with me where I go for the next three years. What an honor that is. I mean, that's amazing. God specifically finding you and calling you. Have you guys ever been a part of something that you just thought, man, this is awesome. I don't know how I landed this, but I am glad to be a part of this. Have y'all ever had an experience like that? When I was 16 years old, I played for this AU basketball team, and like seven of the guys on this team went to play ACC basketball. Four of our five starters went on to play in the NBA. Three of them are still in the NBA. You guys can look at my physique, not very impressive. And so I'm thinking, how did I land on this team? I mean, like, what am I doing playing with these guys? This is cool that I get to be a part of this. I don't really care that I don't play that much. Just being a part of this is pretty awesome. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Friend, how much greater, how much more of an honor to be called by Jesus himself? And as the king who has been raised from the dead, as the one who reigns from heaven, he's not limited in who has access to him. And if you have put your faith in him, then by your spirit, he has found you. Think about this. Has God found you? In, in your weakness, and your brokenness, and your sin, and your shame, and your guilt, has not God looked on us and had compassion on us and said, I want to take your sin and remove it. I want to give you my righteousness. I want to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into my own kingdom. Hasn't that happened for some of you? How awesome is that? I mean, that's better than being a part of a basketball team or whatever it was that you thought of. And just like it was for these original followers, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, part of his expectation is that we would join him on his mission. Part of coming into the kingdom means participating in advancing that kingdom. Look at how he says it to, to the first disciples in Mark chapter 1. He says to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So part of following Jesus is fishing for men. Part of following Jesus is telling other people about Jesus and inviting them into that same kingdom. This was the expectation back then, still his expectation. Now, 
It's here that we see um, the first thing about advancing God's kingdom, right? First big point, God's plan is his people. God's plan is his people. When we ask the question, how does God advance his kingdom or what is God's plan to advance his kingdom? The first thing that we observe is God's plan is his people. Look at the very next verse, verse 45. Immediately after Jesus found Philip, here's what we see. Philip found Nathanael. Jesus found Philip, then Philip found Nathanael. The first thing Philip did after his encounter with Jesus was he's got to go find his buddy Nate. Dude, this is too good not to get in on. And to this day, this is the primary way that the kingdom of God's been advancing. God finds people by his abundant grace, and then we join him on his mission. Now, here's what that means for us. And let me pose it to you in the form of a question. If I were to ask you, what is God's plan to advance his kingdom in Savannah, Georgia? What comes to your mind? What's God's plan to advance his kingdom at Gulfstream or at JCB or at your office or in Pooler or on the island in your neighborhood? What's God's plan to advance his kingdom at SCAD or at Armstrong or at your high school? You know what the answer is? You are. We are. We are God's plan A for kingdom advancement. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like, you know, like when you, you're in a crowd and somebody's waving at you kind of and you don't really know them and you look kind of behind like, are you talking to me? Some of us are feeling that way right now, right? You're like, Cain, I, uh, amen, listen. I'm pretty new to the, all this stuff, man. I, it's a little out there for me. Where I, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible, honestly. Well, hey, man, you know how I act on Sunday morning? <laughs> That's not really how I am, dude. I don't really normally act this nice and polite. <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of y'all are convicted. Um, <laughs> this idea of, of being used by God, this scares me. I told you guys about this team that I was on, okay? We played in front of these big-time college coaches almost every weekend of the summer, but never more than at this tournament called the Adidas Big Time Tournament in Las Vegas. So we go to Vegas, and our, our starting point guard, who's now the starting point guard for the Knicks, he decided to play for his old team. So we walk into the gym, and it's the who's who of college coaches lining the gym. I mean, for somebody who's got basketball idolatry in their heart, it was like the most glorious place to be, okay? <laughs> and I walk in, and coach looks at me, and he goes, Kane, you got to start. And on the inside, I'm thinking like, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to say to him, Coach, hey, man, I've gotten, I've gotten comfortable watching the game from the best seat in the house, man. <laughs> Letting these future NBA stars do their thing. This is, this is nice, just associating with them. People think I'm important. I kind of like my gig. <laughs> the thought of getting in the game, man, that's scary. There's some insecurity there. I was nervous. Can, can I really do this? Of course, on the outside, I'm like, yeah, man, it's about time, man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but isn't, isn't this how it is for us in the Christian life? Some of us like being a part of the team, right? We like coming and sitting in these beautiful green chairs <laughs> in the mornings. We like, 
We like hanging out with our Christian friends. Maybe you're in a community group and you're digging that. Maybe you like coming to your Bible study and learning more and more and more. But when it comes to getting in the game, man, feelings of insecurity, anxiety, they sort of come up, don't they? It's easier sometimes just to sit on the bench. But God's plan is his people. He wants us to be in the game. That's the first thing we see about kingdom advancement. Let's get back to John 1, find our next observation. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So as soon as Philip had been found by Jesus, he makes a beeline for his buddy Nate. Okay, most scholars think this is Bartholomew. So they think this is just a different name for Bartholomew. He went on to become one of the 12. And he, immediately he tells Nate about what he'd found, who he'd come in contact with. Now, if you would look back at chapter 1, verse 35, and read through the end of the chapter, you would find a pattern developing here. Okay? The first thing that happens is this. John the Baptist identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John, it was his job to come and prepare the way for King Jesus. That's what he's doing. He identifies Jesus as the one who the entire Old Testament builds up to, the one who would save the world, save the world and he tells his disciples that. And so then two of his disciples leave him and start to follow Jesus. One of those guys is Andrew. First thing Andrew does is he goes and he finds his brother Peter. See the same sort of thing here. Jesus finds Philip, and then immediately Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Here's the pattern we're seeing. Follow Jesus, fish for men. Follow Jesus, fish for men. Come into the kingdom of God, participate in kingdom advancement. That's how it was from the beginning. But I don't, I don't want us just to see the pattern here, though. I want us to see how Philip engaged with Nate. Because here's what he does. He hurries to him, and then with great excitement, he tells him what he's found. He said, Nate, dude, the one who the entire Old Testament is about, he's here. He has a name. It's Jesus. Right? And it's, it's here, you guys, that, that we see that it was something that Philip said that compelled Nate to consider Jesus. This is our second observation. When we talk about the way that God advances his kingdom, the next thing we see is that God works through our words. God works through our words. So first, his plan is his people. Second, he works through our words, what we say. Now, something my mom used to say all the time growing up, knock her a little bit, even though she's a great, great woman. She would bring to my attention this phrase, everywhere you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Right? Y'all ever heard that? Okay. Some of you guys are saying that from time to time. You might tell your kids that. I don't know. But that's not an entirely biblical statement. Okay? It's, honestly, it's not even a really helpful statement. And here's why. Because what God uses to save people, what God uses to bring people into his kingdom is not good people. And it's not good works. And it's not good behavior. What God uses to bring people into his kingdom is good news. It's what the gospel is. It's an announcement. It's an announcement of something that has already happened and can be applied to you right today. 
right? The news that everything has been screwed up by our sin and selfishness and rebellion, but through the perfect life, through the substitutionary death, through the death-defeating resurrection of Jesus Christ, which actually happened in human history, all things can be made right again. And you can be reconciled to God. It is that news that saves people. This is what Paul says is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says this word of the cross, this message, man, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So God works through our words, through what we say. Now, that being said, our actions have to match up with our words. Right? We can't be grumpy, mad, cranky, lazy people who go around and tell people about Jesus. That's dumb, okay? That's stupid. That is, is bad for Christ. It's bad for Christ's people. Don't be like that. Add God bless on the end of every sentence, even if you're ticked off, okay? Just, that's you, Just stop, okay? <laughs> At the same time, what we can't be is people who are really nice, really, really hard workers, really kind, really loving, and then we never tell people why. Because then here's what happens. They leave impressed with us and not with Jesus. They're in the same place that they started. So we've got to be people who tell other people about Jesus. Now, let's get real for a minute. Raise your hand if that scares you. Okay, half the congregation is honest, half is a liar, okay? <laughs> every time I talk to somebody about Jesus, I get nervous, very, very nervous, every time. I just do. Feel anxiety, feel fear. What if this person rejects me? What if I offend this person? Ugh, man, am I gonna say this the right way? All kinds of fears, all kinds of feelings come up when we talk about talking to other people about Jesus, but here's what I've found. Once you get in the game, it's not so bad. My little girl, my oldest daughter, Julia, she, uh, she's at this stage right now where she just doesn't like to try new things. So you can put even good things in front of her, but if she's not familiar with it, she just doesn't want to try it. So the other night, Victoria made this really good chicken, and she doesn't want to eat it. We're trying every trick we know to get her to eat a piece of chicken. Finally, after we pull out all the stops, she takes a little piece of chicken, puts it in her mouth, and like she says every time, it's not so bad. <laughs> and I think when we get in the game, we'll find that it's not so bad. I think that's what we'll find. But let me say this first. In order to be in the game, we've got to know people who don't know Christ. Now, for some of you guys who've been a Christian a very long time, you probably got a bunch of Christian friends and very few friends who don't know Jesus. Okay, that's not good. How are we going to be on mission for Jesus if we don't know anybody who needs him? We need to know people who don't know Christ. We need to have relationships, friendships. We need to care about them without an agenda, right? Be their friend. So if that's you, if you, you don't have any relationships like this, here's your, here's your challenge for the week. Go meet your neighbors. Just say, hey, I'm William. Can we be friends? Maybe, maybe don't say it that awkwardly, but, <laughs> but build a friendship, right? That, that's the first step. We have to have relationships. And then here's what has happened. Over time, 
as there's trust in those relationships, those people know that you love them, God's going to open doors for you to tell them the truth about Jesus, which is the most loving thing we can do for anybody. And when we do, I want to give you all a little acronym that we use in our college ministry just to, that serves as a, as a reminder. Um, when God opens a door for us to share, here's five things to remember. First, be simple. Be simple. Notice how in the text, Philip comes to Nate and he just says, dude, we found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. He's here. I think a lot of us, when we start feeling like, all right, it's time to say something, we feel like we have to like exposit the entire book of Romans or something. Or like refer to every Old Testament allusion to Jesus. Well, think, think about what you knew when you became a Christian. How much did you know? Let me tell you what I knew. I've been living my own life the way the world says to live it, and it's not working out for me. I'm miserable on the inside. That's where I am. And I've heard about Jesus who can take away my sins. I think I'm going to try him. That's all I knew. And you know, that was enough for the Spirit of God to work in my life, to make me a new person. And then he started growing me, and I learned more after that. But at the beginning, I didn't know much. So it's okay for us to be simple. For us to just very simply tell people, hey, here's what Jesus has done in his death. He died for our sins. We were guilty before God, but he took our guilt for us. And then he, he came back from the dead. And anybody who believes in him, he invites us to enjoy forgiveness of sins and have life with him forever. It's simple. Here's what happened with me. So first, be simple. Secondly, be humble. Be humble. You guys, a major turnoff to non-Christians is when we as Christians talk about Jesus from a place of moral superiority. And when we do that, you guys, here's what we demonstrate. We demonstrate that we have not really understood the gospel ourselves. Because here's what the gospel says, you guys. It says, I am the problem. Nobody else. You cannot blame your problems on anybody else if you're a Christian. It's your fault. Me, William Cain, I am my biggest problem before God. I have rebelled against him. I have chosen my own way. I have pursued selfishness. And because of that pursuit, I am guilty before God. I deserve God's judgment. But God in his mercy to me and his pity and his compassion toward me said, even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to send my son to do for you what you could never do for yourself. It's exactly what Jesus has done. Lived the life I should have lived. Died the death I should have died. Came back from the dead to invite me into this kingdom. Right? See, the gospel humbles us. God has come to us not because we're awesome, but because he's awesome. And when we, we understand that, we can't share from a place of moral superiority. We share as one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Dude, come check this out. You got you to gotta see not because I'm special, not because I have the corner market on truth, but because I have found something that you got to know about. Third thing, when we share, when God opens doors, be authentic. Be authentic. Be real. You guys, there's so many people my age and younger who are leaving the church. And probably the main reason why so many of them are leaving the church is because their experience in church is that it's been totally fake. It's just people pretending saying the things they're supposed to say, looking like they're supposed to look. People can smell that from a mile away. They have no 
interest in inauthenticity. So, so be real. Be yourself and share from a place of just who you are. If you're, if you're a country boy, take your buddy fishing, spit, and tell him about Jesus. <laughs> right? If, if you're a businessman, say, dude, listen, speak to him in a language he gets. Say, dude, we, we've got a, a, we had a debt that we could not pay. It's like the U.S. government, okay? A debt that there's no way we could pay, but he came on, on our behalf and he paid it. Be, be natural. If you're a mom and you like hanging with other moms, go on a walk. Don't, don't try to sound like preacher boy. Just be authentic. Um, next, be relaxed. Do it in a relaxed way. All right, how many have had this experience? Holy Spirit, you know you got to say something, right? Heart starts beating fast, start getting a little nervous. And uh, you're like, man, I've got I've to say something to this person. God's opening the door for me to speak, okay? And when that happens for a lot of us, we go into like panic mode. And when we go into panic mode, if you're anything like me, you, you think, all right, I just got to get Jesus' name out as quick as possible and use as many big words as I can. So it kind of goes like this. Um, yeah, well, hey, uh, um, man, you got a minute? Yeah, before you go, listen, um, shoot, man. So like Jesus, son of God, and basically um, like penal substitutionary atonement and with propitiation is kind of what I'm trying to say. And... Yeah, God bless you, man. Is that clear? <laughs> right? Y'all ever do that? Okay. Even though your heart in that is so good, and then you walk away like, you go to your Bible study, and you're like, y'all, you're not going to believe it. I got to share the gospel with this guy. Dude, I'm the man. <laughs> All right. Okay. Don't do that. It's great that you want to step through the door and tell somebody about Jesus, right? It's the best thing we could ever do for anybody. It's the truth. But we need to do it in a relaxed way. We need to do it in a way that's real and conversational. So don't feel like you have to dump a million propositions on somebody. Talk to them. Ask questions. Give them a chance to answer back. Talk about it, right? Be, be relaxed. It's big. And then last, be excited, do it in an excited way. Think about this. Say Warren Buffett came to you. He said, here's 100 million bucks. You get to keep a million, and I want you to give 99 million away. Would you have any problem in an excited way going and giving that money away? No. We'd be like, dude, here's a million. He'd say, I'm not interested in that. I'd say, okay. Hey, dude, here's a million bucks. Who cares what he thinks? I'm, I'm giving him an incredible treasure. But y'all, in Jesus, how much greater is the treasure that we have found? Or should I say the treasure that has found us? We need to be excited. We need to act like it. If it really is true, and it is because we've experienced it, that we have been saved from death into life, we've got to be excited. And then we talk about what we're excited about. And y'all, every one of y'all are great at this. Think about the last time your kid did something that you were so proud of. Or the last time that you learned something new that just was just like, this is awesome. Or the last time even that you made a purchase that you were excited about. It's the first thing you did. Told somebody. It's what we do when we're excited about things. This is why Bill Fowler cannot get through one sermon without talking about the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> it's because he's excited about the Phillies. 
And so you guys, as we understand who Jesus is, what he's done on our behalf in his life, death, and resurrection, we got to get in the game. How could we not be in the game? And when we get in the game, here's what we're going to find. It's not so bad. And y'all, I know, I know the hangups are real. I know there's all kinds of feelings that come up when we start thinking about this. But how glad are you that somebody got over the hangups and told you about Jesus? How glad are you that they overcame their anxiety and just said, dude, I got to tell you the best news in the world. It has made all the difference in my life. But here's a question. What do you do if they ask a question that you just can't answer? Because if we tell enough people, that's going to happen. How do we handle that? Glad you asked. Let's look back at the text and see. (laughs) Verse 46. Nathanael said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says to him, come and see. So as soon as Philip tells Nate about Jesus, Nate has questions. He's got real questions. Legitimate hang-ups. Okay? But because they had a friendship in place, he felt freedom to ask these questions. There's safety. He says, Philip, Nazareth? Really? I mean, if you hadn't checked, Galilee is an unimportant region in Israel, and Nazareth is the laughingstock of Galilee. I mean, can the Son of God really come from Nazareth? Seriously? And notice how Philip answers. I love this, y'all. He doesn't try to argue to him from scriptures that the, the Messiah would come from Nazareth. He doesn't get offended. He doesn't clam up. He doesn't get all nervous. What does he say? Come and see. Bro, all I'm telling you is what I've experienced. Come check it out. You come and see. And y'all, sometimes this is what we need to say to our friends as we're talking to them. You don't need to tell them where the dinosaurs came from on day one. You just need to say, Bro, I was dead, now I'm alive. I was plagued by guilt, now I live in freedom. I had no purpose, now I wake up every day and there's a reason for it. Come and see. You got questions about Jesus? Open one of the gospels, start reading through it slowly and honestly ask God. If you're real, show me. Come and see. Come come check it out. See for yourself. Sometimes that's what we need to do. It's the best thing we can do for anybody. It's what Philip did. And because it was authentic and sincere, it compelled Nate to see for himself. Let's keep going. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So again, Philip says enough to get Nate to go to Jesus. And it shouldn't be any surprise to us, you guys, that Jesus was there waiting for him. He was prepared. He was anticipating. He was ready to interact with Nate's questions. Look how it goes. Nate said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So not only did Jesus see Nathan before Philip ever saw him, but he, know, he knew how to address him in such a way, such a specific way, that would convince Nate of his identity. And that's exactly what he did. He says, before you're under the fig tree, I saw you. Here's, we don't know a lot about that encounter, but here's what we do know. It blew Nate away enough 
for Nate to conclude that this is the Son of God. There was something supernatural enough about it that the only conclusion that Nathaniel could come to was, this guy is the king of Israel. This guy is God. But he, he, for the purpose of our sermon, here's our biggie on the eye chart. Philip laid some groundwork, but Jesus sealed the deal. And here, here's the next thing that we see, the last thing we see about how God advances his kingdom. God saves through his son. Yes, his plan is his people. Yes, he works through our words. But ultimately, God saves through his son. This is awesome, you guys, because this disproves two major reasons why a lot of us don't tell anybody about Jesus. One is because we feel inadequate. We feel like we have to have every single answer. But, but all Philip had to do was get Nate to Jesus, and then Jesus did the work. So inadequacy is not a good enough reason. And then second, second reason a lot of us don't tell, tell people about Christ is because we don't think anything's going to happen. I mean, we think, man, this guy, I don't know if this guy would respond. He's not very interested, so I just might, might as well not tell him. We, we doubt the supernatural ability to, of God to work in hearts. But this passage proves both wrong, right? Once Philip said enough to get Nate to go to Jesus, to honestly consider him, Jesus had already gone before him, and he was coming after him. He was doing the supernatural work. And so let this serve you guys as such an encouragement to us, as people who are insecure, people who are insufficient, people who are weak. It's not our job to convert people. Not our job. Right? Our job is to be faithful with the message, and then our supernatural God works in people's hearts. Friends, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came back from the dead. That happened, right? That's not fake. It's not a story. He is alive right now. He still works by his spirit. He still makes people alive. Isn't this what happened to you? Isn't this what happened to me? We can't explain it any other way. And so this gives us so much freedom to be faithful with the message. And then God is going to come behind us. And for some of those people, he's going to save some of them. And when he does, there's nothing cooler. It is just kick bottom. Thank you, parents. You can thank me later. I was getting excited. So... And, and this is not just kind of a theme from John. We see this running throughout the, the entire, um, entire New Testament. Look at, look at Mark 4, a couple of verses up on the screen. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed grows. He knows not how. I just love this. You tell people about Jesus. You don't wait and stare at him. Right? <laughs> God does the supernatural work. Sleep. The, the farmer sleeps. What an act of trust. I'm going to scatter my seed. I'm going to go to bed. And I'm going to trust God to work. That's awesome. Paul says the same thing essentially in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. When it comes to telling people about Jesus, y'all, our job is to be excited that we've been found. And then tell people how we were found and how they can be found too. And then we trust our supernatural God to do the work. And with some of them, he's going to seal the deal. He has determined to find some of them. Guys, do we believe that God is supernatural? 
I hope we have not limited Christianity to a series of doctrines or propositions. Jesus says in John chapter 5 to the Pharisees, man, you, you come to the scriptures because you think that in them you have life? It's they that testify about me. Y'all, God will save people. This, this Easter, there are 1,800 seats over at the convention center. There, that's about twice the number of people who are in our congregation. You know why we have 1,800 seats? Because we want to invite so many people to hear this good news that 1,800 is not even enough. And y'all, if you will step out in a little bit of boldness this week, if we will step out in a little bit of boldness this week and invite some people, here is what will happen. God will save some of them. He will. And we will be pumped. And we will be like, man, I was a little bit nervous, but this was worth it. Why don't I live in the game? Why don't I get in the game more? God will do that. And when these people believe, here's what they'll find. It'll only get better. For them, life will get so much better. Look at, look at how John closes out this section. Jesus answered Nathaniel, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus gives Nate a little bit of a hard time here. He says to him, that's all it took? I saw you under the fig tree? It's going to get better than that. You're going to see greater things than these. And surely, as one of the 12, this guy got to witness some pretty awesome things. And you guys, as we step out and we invite people into the kingdom of God, we are giving them what's best for them, whether they know it or not. We are inviting them into a life of purpose and satisfaction that they have not yet known. And it doesn't mean there's going to be wealth or success or power. It doesn't mean in a worldly way. In fact, we could only promise them, no, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be some hard things that you wouldn't experience otherwise. But... There is no better place to live than under the sovereign and gracious rule and reign of King Jesus. This is, this is what you were made for, man. Y'all, we have news that's too good not to share. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're someone who's been found by Jesus. I hope, I pray in my heart and in y'all's heart, I pray that we would marvel at that. Marvel. Jesus found me, even me. He's called me into his kingdom. And part of being in his kingdom is fishing for men, advances in his kingdom. Guys, we are God's plan. Take a look around. This is it. Bad news bears. God's plan to advance his kingdom in Savannah. And he's going to work through our words, as insufficient as they might feel. But ultimately, here's our glorious confidence. He saves through his son. He does the supernatural work. He's done it in us. He'll do it in our friends if we step out there. So one more year, you guys, Easter is rolling around. Who's God putting on your heart? Who do you need to invite to the service next week? Who will be invited into the kingdom of God? Who needs the best news ever? Since the very first Easter, the kingdom of God has been advancing. It's time for some of us to get in the game. And when we do, I feel like we'll pretty quickly say it's not so bad. In fact, I think we'll say 
This is what I was made for.